Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In in the late 1970s and early 1980s, hopelessness was absolutely destroying PS 121 in Harlem. And it was breathtaking to see. Sad. The graduation rate for the sixth graders going on through high school, the graduation rate from high school at PS 121 was 25%. 25% of those students who graduated from 121 would go on and receive their their GED equivalent. So that means 75% of those students never made it through high school, and they never received a GED. And this hopelessness was killing the entire school from top to bottom. It was killing the students because they figured, well, I'm not going to graduate from high school anyway. My life is already in the dumps, so they didn't do their homework. It was killing the teachers because the teachers figured, well, these students are hopeless. They're not going anywhere in their lives. They have no future And so they did just enough to get by. And the hopelessness even went all the way to the top to the principal. To such an extent that when one speaker who was about to address the sixth grade graduates, the principal said to that speaker, only 25% of these students will graduate from high school. Now what wasn't said but was implied was, Whatever you say to these students doesn't matter. You can tell these sixth grade graduates that they should work hard and they should pay attention. If they work hard enough, then they can succeed in life. But whatever you say today, it doesn't matter because these students are hopeless. Hopelessness infected this school like a cancer. And it affected the daily actions of the students, the teachers, and even what the principal said. Viktor Frankl, in Man's Search for Meaning, talked about hopelessness too. He, he told the story about a man whom he spent time with in the Auschwitz concentration camp. And and this man sincerely believed that he had a divine revelation from God that on March 30th, he would be liberated from that concentration camp. Well, as the day arrived, March 30th, reports kept coming back from the front of the war, and they weren't good. And the man's health began to fail. When March 30th arrived, and passed, the man lost all hope. And then on March 31st, he died. He died of hopelessness. See, hopelessness will sap our strength in the present to such an extent that it might make you die if you were in a concentration camp. Now, None of us know what it's like to be in a concentration camp. At least I don't think so, not that I know of. And I pray that you never will. But I think all of us know 
exactly what it feels like to have a stab of cold, dark hopelessness in your heart. Students know what it feels like. Young students do. College students do too. When they study and study and study and do their very best and then at the end of all their trying, they receive back the same grade that they always got, a D. Married couples know what it feels like. That cold, dark, hopeless stab. When, when they try to get marriage counseling and they try to stop the, the negative patterns in their marriage and then they fall right back into the fighting again. Individuals know what hopelessness feels like when, when they say to themselves, you know what, I'm not supposed to be bleeding that way. And then they go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm not sure what this is and I'm not sure that we can even help you. Hopelessness. Even if you don't know what the stab of hopelessness feels like in your life, I can say to you this, without being a prophet at all, I can say to you, you will. Life is such that if you don't know what hopelessness feels like, you will. And probably pretty soon. And we know what hopelessness does already. Hopelessness will cause students in PS 121 to not receive a high school diploma and practically ruin their future. Hopelessness will cause a man to die in a concentration camp. And even in the face of Easter, hopelessness will make Christians feel a whole lot less joy and maybe even cold inside because suffering and adversity are crushing hope. Peter understood the corrosive power of hopelessness. See, hopelessness to the human soul is hydrofluoric acid to the human body. It's absolutely corrupting and a destructive agent. And Peter knew that, and he knew also that the only remedy for hopelessness is hope. He's writing to a group of Christians that were literally scattered all around Asia Minor. And these Christians had begun to experience hopelessness. They were under persecution. And Peter knew that just in a few short years, Emperor Nero's great persecution was going to begin. And these Christians would suffer just as much, if not more, than any person in a concentration camp. They would become food for lions. They would become gladiators, men to die for the entertainment of others. They would lose their dignity, their property, and even their lives. And so Peter knew that he needed to speak words of hope to people in a hopeless situation. Listen to what Peter writes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this isn't going to come as any surprise to you, but, but the cure, the remedy for hopelessness is living hope. We've already seen what dying hope looks like. Dying hope looks like the students and the teachers and the principal at PS 121. Dying hope looks like that man in the Auschwitz concentration camp. Dying hope looked like doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, his, all of his hopes and dreams died with Jesus on Good Friday. So where was he on Easter Sunday? He wasn't with the fellowship of the believers. He wasn't there with it all. Where was he? He was wherever hopeless people go, and he was with doing whatever hopeless people do. And so Jesus wants to birth in Thomas a brand new living hope. And so he goes to Thomas in grace, and he says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. And in that moment, when, when Thomas reached out and he touched Jesus' hands, and he put his, his hand into Jesus' side, his life began. And he began to hope again. And Jesus birthed in him living hope. To such an extent that he cried out the most hopeful cry, My Lord and my God. Thomas finally had, he had living hope because living hope stood in front of him and no one could ever take that hope away from him. And no one can take that hope away from you. Jesus is alive. And the tomb is empty. That is living hope. And that's enough for us. That living hope is enough for us no matter how hopeless the situation may be. But Peter doesn't stop there. He wants to give us even more hope. He adds to living hope a future hope. Let's continue on with the reading. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Imagine with me for a second your inheritance, your future. No pain, no struggles, no adversity. Only joy, only happiness, only a banquet, only mansions. It's imperishable. It is stored up for you in heaven. And no one can ever take it away from you. Emperor Nero, he could take away from the Christians their dignity. He could take away from the Christians their property. He could take away from the Christians their health and their life. But Emperor Nero could not change the fact that the tomb was empty and that there was an inheritance waiting for them in heaven. See, this is a hope that never dies and no one can ever take it away from you 
or from the Christians in Peter's time. This is living hope. And this is present hope. This living hope and this future hope birth in us present hope. And this present hope gets us through whatever trial and whatever adversity that we are going through right now. This is what Peter says. He continues. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Literally, many colored trials. So this might look like whatever adversity, whatever suffering you're going through right now. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the truth. There is no way to get through life without suffering. There is also no way to get through suffering without hope. That's what Peter helps us to see. He puts our present sufferings, our present adversity, whatever is holding us back, and he puts it in its proper context. He says, for a little while. See, hopelessness is always believing the lie that your suffering will not end. That there is no hope. But the truth of the matter is that our suffering and our adversity will come to an end. There is an end in sight, and it's right around the corner. See, a runner, if you've ever run a marathon or a half marathon, you go through this this hope-suffering thing in a rather short amount of time. When you begin the race, you don't have that much hope because the finish line is so far away. But you don't have that much pain either. But as you go along in the race, say you get it to mile 13, it starts to hurt a little bit. But you have more hope because the finish line, well, it's only 13 miles away. And then you get to mile 20 and it's really starting to hurt, isn't it? There's a lot of adversity, but you have the most hope than ever because the finish line is literally right around the corner. Hope carries us through every trial, and every adversity because we know that right around the corner is glory. Right around the corner is blessing. It's really amazing to see what a little hope can do. At PS 121, that speaker to whom principal whispered, only 25% of these students are going to graduate. His name was Gene Lang, and he was a millionaire who had attended that school. And and he meant to give a speech to those students that day. There was 61 of them. That said, if you just work hard and do your best, then you can be successful like I was. 
But when he heard that principal whisper that hopelessness into his ear, he tore up his speech. And he had one simple message for those kids that day. He said this, If you graduate from high school, I will pay your college tuition. That's all he said. If you graduate from high school, I will pay your college tuition. You know what happened? 90% of those students graduated from high school and went on to college. That is the power of hope to carry us through through trial and adversity. It makes me wonder, it makes me wonder if, if that man in the Auschwitz concentration camp had known that the war was coming to end just a short time later, would he have lived? And maybe would he have lived up to today? Because of hope. See, I, I think as Christians, we, we understand that Easter is supposed to make us happy. And usually it does. And I think that as Christians, we understand that, that Easter promises to us future blessings, amazing blessings that we can't even understand right now. But sometimes I think as Christians, we fail to understand how an empty tomb helps us today. Because an empty tomb doesn't pay the bills. And an empty tomb doesn't fix our health problems. But what does an empty tomb do? It helps us to hope. It replaces pessimism and cynicism and the attitude of this will never work with hope. It reminds us that whatever race that we are running, it is coming to an end. And rather soon, at the end of that race, there is glory. See, the resurrection of Jesus absolutely frees us from hopelessness. And it gives to us a living, breathing, resurrecting hope that has a heartbeat. Amen.